Chapter 9 of the Gospel of John is this magnificent narrative of the young man who was born blind, sitting at the side of the street in Jerusalem. And Jesus and the apostles are walking by, and the apostles do this mind-numbingly statement. Well, Lord, who sinned, this fellow or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now, we know from the narrative following that this young fellow is probably a teenager because later on in the narrative, his parents will say, hey, he's old enough to answer for himself. He can answer for himself. He's of age. So he's probably 16, 17 years old, something in that neighborhood. And he is probably one of the world's experts on his condition because he's had people walking past him for years, all commenting on the fact he probably has a sign hanging around his neck that says, born blind, please help. <laughs> and I'm sure he's heard what the, vo- what the apostles have voiced. Hey, who sinned? This young man. And by the way, there was an idea that what a woman did with her yet unborn child, if she did something sinful, God could actually, that unborn child was actually participating in what his mother had dragged him into. So who sinned, him or an anticipation of something he would do later or his parents that he would be born blind? And Jesus, I think we can righteously, rightfully, he smacked his forehead with his palm. (laughs) Uh, Neither... Neither one. He was born blind so that the powerful works of God could be manifest in his life. This young man, who at least on one occasion or another, probably every inhabitant in Jerusalem had walked past and seen this young man sitting there. He's been sitting there for several years with this tin cup and this sign hanging around his neck. He's heard all these Opinions from people walking by. And Jesus says, neither one. It is so that the mighty works of God could be manifest in his life. Jesus spits into the mud and makes some, spits into the dirt, makes some mud, puts the mud on his eyes and says, I'm sending you to the pool of Siloam, the pool called Scent. Wash your eyes there. And he does that. Now, It's not unreasonable to believe that this young man, born blind, has also heard the opinions about Jesus there in Jerusalem as he sat at the side of the road, and he's heard people voicing things about Jesus. And he knows it's that fellow Jesus that put them, I think I will do what this fellow Jesus has said. After all, I've heard about him healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, who was infirm for 38 years, I think I'll give him an opportunity. And so he goes to the pool of scent, Siloam, washes his, the mud of his eyes, and he's received his sight. And then he is brought by the, into the Pharisees, into the synagogue, and they start quizzing him, quizzing him to, well, tell us the truth, tell us the truth. Well, all I know is he put mud on my eyes, I did what he said, and I received my sight. What do you think of him? Well, I think he's, he's, he's following the evidence. Well, I think he must at least be a prophet. Oh, no, da, 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 da. he broke the Sabbath. He, 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 no, no, it's not possible, not possible. 
Well, he, all I know is he, I was blind, now I've received my sight. And then they bring his parents in. Well, tell us what, well, all we know is what he said. Yeah, he's our son. Yeah, he was born blind. It's not a manufactured, faked miracle. Then they bring him back. Okay, tell us what happened. I already told you what happened. Do you want to become his disciples too, you, you Pharisees? How dare you? And they kick him out of the synagogue. And Jesus finds him on the street. He hears about this. He finds him on the street. And Jesus says, in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? All through John's Gospel, Jesus has never laid claim to the fact, which he could have, and some have voiced this in his presence, oh, the Messiah is from Bethlehem. He will be born in Bethlehem. Oh, the Messiah is from the line of David. He could have laid claim to all. He never does. He always says, I'm from heaven. I'm from heaven. I'm from the Father. I'm from the Father. He's always pointing them to his true place, ultimate place of origin, heaven's throne. And here he says of himself, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, the blind, the man born blind who now has received his sight. Who is he, Lord? Now remember, he's never seen Jesus. <laughs> he's heard his voice, but he's not seeing him till now. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. Now I think we can take this, as we suggested last week, as actually a metaphor. When he was still blind, he believed the word of God. He actually saw the, G the true Jesus in his blind state, went and washed his eyes and received his sight. You have both seen Jesus, and it is he who is talking with you. You're hearing him. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You are the Son of God. You are God incarnate. If Jesus isn't fully God, this is blasphemy. But because Jesus is fully God, it's not blasphemy. Jesus is right, can be rightly worshipped. And Jesus said, For judgment, to make a division, I have come into this world, that those who do not see like this young man, may see. And that those who see, in quotes, I think we should put that in quotes, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind? <laughs> in a metaphorical sense. Also... Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. And of all the people in the Jewish culture who said, we see, we see, we see, we got it together, we know everything, we got it all nailed down, it was the Pharisees. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains. Because in their so-called seeing, 
They're actually blind and they refuse to run to the Redeemer. And the reason we've gone back into this latter portion of chapter 9 is because chapter 10, verse 1, is it's all one narrative. Most assuredly, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, you Pharisees and others who are gathered here, the man born blind, who now has received his sight and believed, most assuredly, I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they, the sheep, may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly, with great abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews, again, among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Whew. Big 
segment, a big thing for us to get our minds wrapped around, and who are we, and what is the shepherd like? What did they say at the close of chapter 9, verse 41? Or Jesus say, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sins remain. The man born blind, in his blind state, hearing the words of Jesus, I'm putting mud on your eyes, go to the pool of scent of Siloam and wash your eyes. He did what Jesus said. He trusted Jesus. He passed a lot of faucets or buckets of water on his way. He did what Jesus said. He trusted Jesus' word. He had heard the words about Jesus from the passers-by. He, even in his blind state, he was seeing. He was seeing. He followed through on what his spiritual sight gave him, what God enabled him to see. I put quotes around that. In the spiritual sense, he followed through on it with faith, and he received his sight. He already could see in the spiritual realm, and then he was able to manifest sight in the physical realm, which was proof of his, the authenticity and reality of what he had seen when he was yet physically blind, but he was spiritually seeing. The Pharisees insisted they could see. I, we can see in the, in the physical realm but they were blind in the spiritual realm and refused to admit to their blindness. Now, this wasn't true of all the Pharisees. We've already seen that fellow Nicodemus in chapter 3, who was a Pharisee, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, and he came to Jesus by night. You must be from God or you couldn't be doing these signs. And he had stepped into the kingdom. Now, it took him three full years to replicate what this man born blind did and come out publicly, but he finally did. And there were others, we're told in John's Gospel, members of the Sanhedrin that believed but kept their faith quiet because they didn't want to lose their status. The Pharisees claimed sight and therefore were blind. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now I say, you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Why? Because in fact, you have embraced blindness. You've refused the light that's been displayed to you. You have a young man right here in front of you who was born blind, who received his sight, and you refuse to embrace the evidence. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Well, let me go back and explain a little bit that they all knew about not just the Israelis, but everybody who were, was involved in the sheep raising business did basically the same format in the whole Mediterranean world. They would have at the villages or towns where shepherds lived, they would typically build a big stock, stacked rock corral. And that corral was big enough to hold 
all of the flocks of all the local shepherds so that when the sun is going down, they would all be able to bring their flocks back. Now, sometimes they stayed out in the wilderness and kept watch, but typically they brought their flocks back and ran them into the stacked rock corral. And here's a doorway. Sometimes it had an actual door. Sometimes it just had the shepherd laying across the doorway. And they would take turns being the doorkeeper or the door itself. And they would take turns, and then in, as the sun's coming up, the shepherds would come, and they would speak out with their voice, and their sheep knew their voice. Now, they did sheep herding completely different from the way it's done in North America. and a lot. They didn't have sheep dogs. <laughs> they didn't drive the sheep. The shepherd led, <coughs> led the sheep. They knew their own shepherd's voice. He's the place of safety for us. They didn't know the other shepherd's voice. They didn't know if they could trust those other shepherds. So they followed only the voice of the shepherd whom they knew, who was their owner. Hopefully, because if he's their, their owner, he has a real big commitment now, if the shepherd hires somebody to do the job for a little while, uh, and the wolf comes, the bear comes, the lion comes, what's that hire, hireling going to do? Uh, you know, my life and the flock. My life, I think I'll select my life in preference, and I think I'll just run away. And by the way, bears, lions... There were predators out there. We read the psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack for anything. He will lead me to the green pastures, the still waters. By the way, if you are shepherding both sheep and goats, you always, and you brought them to a place where there's water still. And by the way, it had to be still water for sheep. They're not going to drink out of a running stream. That's frightening to them for some knucklehead reason. I don't know. Sheep are not bright. It has to be still waters. It has to be clear. You always let the sheep drink first because they will only drink clear, still water. If you let the goats go first, they will jump in the water, they will make it all muddy, and they will still drink the muddy water. They're having a blast. So you always let the drink, sheep drink first. And your shepherd has two tools in his hand. He has a rod and he has a staff. The rod is for beating off the predators. And so you, as a sheep, you see he's got a rod. Ah, I can take comfort in the fact that he has a rod. He's armed. And he has that shepherd's crook. Well, that's so when I get myself caught in the thorns, he can reach in there, put that shepherd's crook around me, and drag me out. You know, if you're a shepherd, you don't want to go into the thorns and drag out a sheep. Not when you can have a shepherd's crook. But I, the sheep, take comfort in the fact that he will deal with the predators, but also he will get me out of the trouble I get myself into. He's fully equipped. And how does that psalm end? He will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, who's the author of that psalm? Well, it doesn't actually say, but I would dare say it's probably David. But regardless, it's true. 
when David went before Saul, when he's heard the threats from Goliath, and David's first response is, I mean, all the Israeli army is scared to death of this guy Goliath, and this shepherd boy who's just brought cheeses to his brother's commander <laughs> says, oh, what does Saul promise to the fellow that takes this challenge? His brothers are angry because he's embarrassing them on more than one level. And they, Saul hears about it. The only Saul has encountered David before. David has played the harp in Saul's presence before. And he brings, they bring in this shepherd boy. Well, why should I believe you can handle this guy? Well, I have killed a lion. As a shepherd, I have killed a lion. I've killed a bear with this sling, slinging stones. I've killed a lion and a bear. What's this guy Goliath compared to a lion and a bear? But so, yeah, they are dealing with predators. And what does Jesus say to these Pharisees? Most assuredly, I say to you, Pharisees, but also the rest of the crowd, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. Now, the shepherds who have a right to retrieve their sheep from, they're going to come to the door of the sheepfold, this stacked rock corral. And they will speak out, and their, she their sheep will hear their voice and come to them. And each shepherd, as it's his turn, his sheep will follow him. What allowed you, what gave you the format? What was the principle that allowed you, caused you to hear the gospel, not just striking your eardrums, but where it penetrated your mind, heart, and spirit? The Pharisees have just heard the same words as everybody else, but they refuse to respond. Why? They're not his sheep. You are Jesus' sheep before you even hear the word. And you hear the gospel word, and you may have heard it over and over and over again before, but there comes that day where you hear the shepherd speak his gospel word, and you come, you respond, because you are a sheep. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Everybody else is a thief or a robber. If they're climbing over the walls, that's not good. Well, what, is all, what are false teachers? What are false religions? They're thieves and robbers. They don't care about the flock. They just want to use the flock. This is the shepherd who gives his life for the flock. Folks, isn't that a huge idea? A shepherd who literally puts his... Put your, look at what did David say? I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. Here's the stripling kid that's killed a lion, killed a bear, put his own life on the line for a flock of sheep. Yeah. And Jesus did and does the same thing. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper, the shepherd whose turn it is to man the door or be the door for the flocks that night, 
opens, and the sheep hear his, their own shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This man born blind knew my voice. He could, on the spiritual level here, as well as the physical, before he could see. But in effect, is a metaphor, he was seeing before he ever received his sight. In the spiritual realm, he, was, he, he, was, he had sight, and you Pharisees are blind. That's it, folks, that's a big smack smack to these guys. Jesus said, oh, you need, in your own minds, you need to trade places with this fellow. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Just this morning... In our adult Sundays, in our Sunday school class, we had a testimony about a lady who has an internet site, which she has studied all these religions of the world, then finally came upon the gospel and got a clear understanding of that. And but she's an expert on all these other religions, but she heard the voice of the shepherd. Oh, here was the one who finally has the answer for my. I knew. I did not have any standing before the holy God left to myself. My works weren't good enough. And here is the gospel redeemer. And he answered my need. And now she's on the internet meeting with people, dealing with people from all these various backgrounds, but here's the solution that nobody else even pretends to offer. Well, number one, they pretend they don't have a problem. <laughs> and then, that's how blind they are, and then here's the solution. They will no my, by no means follow a stranger, but will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They had a hard time taking that format and putting it down on their experience and their understanding. Then Jesus said to them again, let me explain it more deeply. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. By the way, in Psalm 24, it reads, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Well, the gatekeepers, the doorkeepers, were often called the gate or the door because they were in charge of it. Well, that's what Jesus is using that here. I am the door. If anyone comes by me, he will be, enters by me, he will be saved. And I will and will go in and out and find pasture. You will step into this position of protection. I am the good shepherd. I will 
saw all that Psalm 23 format, I will lead you to the green pastures. I will lead you to the still waters. I will protect you from the predators. I will rescue you from your knucklehead nonsense. Trust in me. And the ultimate thing is, I will set a table before you, a table of feasting before you in the presence of your enemies. I will give you unrestrained, inarguable victory even against those who surrounded you that were blind and deaf, who were mocking you, ridiculing you, they will ultimately acknowledge the wisdom that God gave you that they chose to be deaf and blind to. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, what were the Jewish leadership involved in? They were involved in the use. They tried to do it behind a screen, but it was they were involved in using the people to build them, their egos up, but also the temple literally was a den of thieves. It was a criminal activity. It was a criminal enterprise. That was how wicked the Jewish leadership was. They were knowingly using the temple as a criminal enterprise to milk the pockets of the people. The thief does not enter except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that really was characteristic of the Jewish religious leadership. And it's laid out over and over and over again in John's Gospel. I have come that they, the sheep, may have life and that they have it, may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He stands between you and the bear. He stands between you and the lion. And in fact, I gave my life to deliver you from the, your, the guilt of your sin. And when he went to the cross, he was giving his life so that we might be delivered from the judgment we deserved. From that lion, from that bear, from that Goliath that would have consumed us, he delivered us. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling... He was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Did the Jewish religious leadership care about the people? No. If they did, they wouldn't have turned the temple into a den of thieves. They're using the people instead of serving the people. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know you. I know you. I'm with you. I'm present. This is the God who is always present with us in all the fullness of who he is. That's why 
in Psalm 23, it can say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, threats on every level of every kind, I will fear no evil, for you are with me in all of the fullness of the reality of who you are. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to walk through this hostile environment that we live in with joy, in a hostile environment, joy, peace, confidence, you have every right to because the Good Shepherd, in all of the fullness of who He is, is present with us all the time. He's never distracted. He's with us in the fullness of who He is. I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. They, I know them, and they know me. This blind, young blind man, I put the mud on his eyes. You know what? He knew me enough to do what I said. He had heard the passers-by talking about me, and he decided, hmm, that fellow who healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, that man who did all those signs in the temple, all those miracles in the temple at the beginning of his public ministry, I heard about that. I heard about that. I, I think I'll give him a chance. And we have that enormous testimony from two Fridays ago from Seton Lee where he talked about, and we mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again. He talked about his radio program, and on his radio program in Cambodia, he had read the account that morning of the Jesus raising the son of the widow of Nain. They're taking this young man off to bury him. He's obviously dead. Jesus walks in, passing this funeral procession. Here is the weeping widow mother. The only source of support for her is her son. They're taking him off to bury him. Jesus has pity on her and raises her son from the dead right in front of her and all of those people. Setan had read that account, and here is this, the woman calling in with this is a woman who has been a lifelong Buddhist. She was very, very, very angry at her daughter-in-law because her daughter-in-law had become a Christian. And she witnessed her daughter-in-law get struck by lightning and killed. And the Buddhist monk, the Buddhist priest came, the townspeople came, they gathered around the body. And there's a young man off in the distance who heard Seton read that account of Jesus raising from the dead the widow of Nan's son. And that young man yelled out, stop, stop, stop. Let's give Jesus a chance. And he ran through the crowd, laid hands on her, and as he lays his hands on her, says... Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be all the reality of who you are in this woman's life. Be here. Do what only you can do. And that young lady's eyes flew open. 
that they were about to bury. They're doing the last, the, the rituals for the dead. Her eyes flew open and she stood up. And the woman who called into Seton's program with the testimony was the mother-in-law who had been so angry at her daughter-in-law having become a Christian. And now she's testifying to the nation via Seton's program about what Jesus did. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Intimate relationship between God the Father, God the Son. And I laid down my life for the sheep. And that's why he embraced the cross, was for our deliverance. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now John is writing this gospel about 50 years after the events of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. He's writing this probably in the 80s A.D. Jesus was crucified in 33 A.D. And what happened 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection? The day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured down on the worshipers in Jerusalem and they began to speak about the mighty works of God in the languages of the places they came from, the Gentile languages. And that was step one in what is laid out clearly in both Ephesians by the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen and in Rome that a new body of distinct, a new body of redeemed people was created that day called the church. But Jesus is hinting at it here in this, in John chapter 10. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. Those Gentile people. And they will, there will be one flock comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. God the Father sends God the Son to pay sin's penalty for the human race. He didn't do it easily. It was with a broken heart that God the Father sent the Son and with a broken heart that God the Son obeyed the Father. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all, what does it say? God is love. You can examine every 33 million Hindu gods and goddesses. I don't even know what the count is on all. I don't know how many fallen angels, demons there are. That demand worship. Not one of them, and Lucifer their king certainly is not true. None of them love. They're all about forcing one another and forcing the human race to serve them. There's no love. This is the God who loves. The God who says, I love mercy. 
Isaiah, Hosea 6.6, 6, I love mercy more than sacrifice. Will you take that, God? Will you take a God of love and mercy? I need that. That's the God I need. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. The Father rejoices in my willing to, willingness to obey Him and sacrifice myself. And it wasn't easy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before His arrest, Jesus' blood pressure is so high, his, the veins are bursting and are joining, mixing with His sweat. Father, if it be possible, pass this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. If there's no other solution, then yes, indeed, I will do this. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. The Father isn't forcing me. He sent me. He asked me. And I am obeying His voice, but I am doing it willingly. The same Spirit of love and mercy that governs Him governs me, governs the Holy Spirit who reaches out and draws us to Him. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Hint, 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 resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, who were in fact blind <laughs> and deaf spiritually, though they were religious leaders, they were blind, spiritually blind and deaf. He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Would you, religious leaders, please wake up and smell the coffee? Would you please look at the evidence? Oh, no, 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 no. Because the evidence leads me away from self-adulation and self-service to being like Jesus and sacrificing myself as a servant leader. I don't want to be a servant leader. I want to serve my, force other people to serve me. These are not the words of one who has a demon, demands self-service. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? No. Here's every proof, every proof, every proof. And what is the command of John's Gospel? Believe in the Son. It's as simple as that. That is the giant command of John's Gospel. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Son. Trust in the Son. Transfer your trust from your own goodness, your own works, your own righteousness, your own religiosity. Abandon that and transfer all of your trust to what Jesus accomplished for you, the Good Shepherd accomplished for you on the cross. Let's pray together. Our Father. The fact that we can even say our Father resides in one simple fact. 
that your son paid, sin, paid sin's penalty for us. And his love, his pursuit didn't end there. Those of us who are seated here, who are in the kingdom, are in the kingdom because in our own life experience, you pursued us and brought us home on your shoulders rejoicing. We were the dumb lost lamb wandering around, and you came and got us. But when you spoke to us in our terrible condition, we heard the voice of the shepherd who would rescue us. And we're so grateful you gave us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask for each of us here today that you will give each of us the opportunity this week to share this message of what the Good Shepherd has done with someone else who needs to hear it. As we encounter people who are blind, but to whom you have, you are, you're giving sight, giving hearing, we ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus, to shepherd our way in this way. In your name, amen.